This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. Somebody 
Hello and welcome to this week's Straight Ahead, brought to you along with the 606 Club of Chelsea and myself, David Lewis. So far opening this week, we went back to 2015 when Dee Dee Bridgewater released her album Feathers. The reason the track's got such a great Mardi Gras feeling to it was that it was recorded alongside Irving Mayfield and the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra. And in fact, the track that we just listened to was the theme song from the Sky series of a few years ago now, Treme. Next to play on the show this week is a track from an album that features such luminaries as Rob Luff, Ross Stanley and Vazilla Sinopolis. I'm speaking of the album Signs of Life from Zoophyte. And the track we're about to listen to is Los Retablos. Or 
angel's wing Only gotta say what you require Say your prayer you from your boat even if the devil comes to call even if a demon tries to steal your goat pray and you will fill your life with joy say your prayer guest on this week's show is saxophonist and composer Alex Hitchcock and we shall be hearing from Alex very soon indeed. We also have a featured album which is Quiet is the Star, the brand new album from Georgia Mancho and Alan Broadbent and the album is just divine. I've listened to it a few times through now and it is beautiful and we have a couple of tracks to play on this week's show lined up as well. But next up is a track from Wildcard. They released an album last year called Beast from the East. The album itself was the fruit of three recording sessions over the past two years and features musicians such as Tim Garland, Duncan Eagles, Rosie Turnton, Will Fry and the vocals of Amani, who features on this next track that we're about to play. It's called The Struggle and the track itself is all about the struggle that you face during hard times in life such as bereavement and illness. <laughs> Strings are tight, it won't bring loose no matter how much I fight. I will rise after each fall. Yes, I will rise over the wall. When the battle seems to be lost, you're on your knees, throw down the towel in the ring. Get up off your feet, lift up off your chin.
19th of March, Sarah Mule will be releasing her fifth studio album. It's called Storm Emotions. We've been playing tracks from it over the past few weeks. It's released on the 33 Jazz label. And the track I've got lined up this week is Truly Unruly. Let's let down our defences Give up any disguise Let's get truly unruly and unwise You've been making me crazy Since the moment we met You don't think that I mean it Wanna bet No more trying to be sensible We don't have to get things straight Let's be totally reprehensible Won't that be great? Let's not stop at a cuddle Let's break all of the rules Let's not try to be careful Let's be fools We'll lose all inhibitions I can turn off my phone Let's get truly unruly in a world of our own from Sarah on Straight Ahead. We're going to be having a chat near our album release time. It's an interview that I'll bring on the show very soon indeed. Let's now go back to an album that I started playing tracks from last week, Safe Places, the latest release from Terence Colley and Esther Bennett. The track we're about to listen to, Forever Now, an ode to Duncan. Duncan Lamont, of course, who passed away uh, last year. The track itself is about learning to live for the moment, live for now, and it features Duncan's son, Duncan Lamont Jr., 
on soprano sax and it sounds and got a real feel of John Coltrane to it. This is Forever Now. first track from this week's featured album which i mentioned was the new release from georgia mancho and alan broadbent quiet is the star 
Together, Alan and Georgia have now written 33 songs. And to mark that fact, not only have they released the album, they've also released a book, The Songs of Alan Broadbent and Georgia Mancho. So you can check out both of those. And uh, this particular album, I think, is going to cement their reputation as one of the strongest, most formidable uh, songwriting partnerships of the 21st century. As I mentioned earlier on, I've listened to the album a few times through and it is gorgeous. And the first track that I've got ready to play for you now is I Can See You Passing By. I can see you passing by Your step so sure Your head held high And if I try to catch your eye Will you I never thought our love would die And so I still remember Vows we made and parts we played And summers without end has been broken as the years went rolling by I never did to question why I tried to smile and not to cry for you What has been broken 
album is simply amazing and a note for your diary quiet is the star from georgia and alan is released on the 27th of march both the album and the book the songs of alan broadbent and georgia mancho as i mentioned we'll have one more track from that album to come up on this week's show our guest is alex hitchcock and we're about to hear from him now alex and i sat down just after christmas and had a good chat about how he'd gone on during last year's lockdown and what his plans are for this coming year you're listening to me david lewis and this straight ahead. If you want to know what's happening at The Six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk.
Our guest on the 606 Club Straight Ahead Show this week is saxophonist and composer Alex Hitchcock. Alex, hello and welcome. Hey, David. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. And did you have a good Christmas and New Year? Yeah, well, given lovely, the circumstances. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, to be, to be honest with you, there was um, there was four of us because it's me and my girlfriend live together. And then we've got our flatmate and then um, her boyfriend lives on his own. So he's in our bubble. So we actually did. Uh, we actually did all right. We had four people on Christmas Day. Good. Well, you look very well and healthy. So um, so as a, a young lad, was music around you much? What were your influences? What brought you into the world of wanting to be a musician? um it's a good question i did play violin for a little bit when i was younger um and i kind of knew even then i think that i didn't necessarily have that much aptitude for it um and i started on the sax quite early um i had a really great uh first teacher called um katie brown uh who's herself she's a wicked alto player um so she had me on things like charlie parker and phil woods and um cannonball and vincent herring and things like that um and then i was into a lot of um joshua redman and i guess the first thing i'd ever listened to was coleman hawkins um some great names are being influenced by oh your mum loved loved him my, my, I mean, my mum's not super musical, to be honest with you, but she did get me a Coleman Hawkins CD. Um, it's like a compilation CD, but it had that famous version of Body and Soul and like Fine mm. Dinner and She's Funny That Way and that kind of thing. So that kind of got me started. But I did start on Alto. So I was going to say you started. And was that at school or was that private lessons you were taking? Yeah, that that was at school, and then I had some I had some um, private lessons a little bit later on with Mornington Lockett as well, which was which was great. That made a really big impact, as it would do, because you're London born, born and bred, aren't you? What part of London yeah, are you yeah, from? So, you from the north side, or so, uh, no? I'm from Hammersmith, and I live in Camberwell now. Right, okay. And you said you started on violin, but that didn't just take you. And what I've learned through these course interviews that often it's the instrument that finds the person and it's there's a calling that kind of comes to you and, and you suddenly just think that's for me why the sax i mean you, you, it wasn't around the house it's not as if your parents were players why what made it appealing to you that is a good question um i suppose it might have been something to do with katie brown being around as a as a teacher i guess um i couldn't honestly tell you um whether that came first or the coleman hawkins cd but it would have been it would have been one of the similar one of the kind two. of time and did, yeah. did kind of the, the reading and music, did it make sense to you quickly? Um, that's a good question, actually. I think I think I read music kind of okay, as sort of as, as, as well as or as badly as anyone else, really. But I do remember um, telling Katie quite early on that I understood all the chord symbols on like a you know sheet of chord changes. Um, and that wasn't completely true. So I did spend the first sort of like six months year of playing the sax, um, just basically trying to improvise by <laughs> ear, um, which I think actually kind of looking back on maybe set me up quite well because I had quite a lot of heavy absolutely to yeah. start with so almost um learning how to transpose by ear as it turns out and improvising from a young age yeah a, a little bit yeah i always really liked it um and then as i sort of studied it a bit more the chord symbols started to make a bit more sense that kind of thing was the school a musical school did they recognize your talent did they encourage you um, yeah, yeah, I was, re- I was really lucky. Yeah, really, really well supported. Um, and then I also went to um, another, it was an organisation called WAC, W-A-C, mm-hmm. um, in Camden. Um, and there was a tutor there called Ricky Meehan. Um, and there was people like um, Tom Miller and Alaric Taylor and the, the brilliant drummer Daniel John um were uh, Jim Gold the sax player were all on that course so like even outside of school we had um we you know we had a really 
uh, like there was a great scene. And you said you it. picked up the sax at quite a young age. What kind of age would you have been? Because it's a cumbersome instrument for a youngster. To, you know, if people haven't picked up a sax. It's actually quite a heavy instrument, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I guess I was about 10. Something, oh, something so yeah, like that is young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so outside of school, were you involved in many county bands or youth bands? No, not really. Because um, that's the normal route, isn't it? You get involved with whatever local bands in your area. Yeah. So to be honest, it, it was mainly, it was, it was whack that, that did that for me. Um, cause that was every week that you could go and it was free and it still is free. And mm -hmm. I don't know whether I can give them a plug, but they're a brilliant organization. Absolutely. They, yeah. Yeah. They support all sorts of young musicians. Um, organizations like that deserve to be known about, you know, the work they do is, is invaluable in the community. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Incredible. So as you go through your years and you're coming towards the end of school life, A-levels, and then you decide obviously that you're going to go on to study music at university. And I know you're a conservatoire, you're a RAM student, aren't you? A former RAM student. Uh, yeah, it was actually, I went off and did an English degree actually for my, for my oh, undergrad. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it, it was something that I'd always enjoyed at school and I kind of applied semi-speculatively, I, I guess. And mm -hmm. then uh it seemed like too good an offer to to turn down to go and sort of study that but i always did know um that i wanted to then come out of that and either either do a postgrad or, or go straight into the scene if i could you know and the this the time you spent at ram was that where yeah. you found a lot of your colleagues that you're now playing with because it tends to be a great breeding ground isn't it yeah it's fantastic and the, the the just the the kind of amazing quality of musicians that goes through through ram is incredible but then the other the other thing is obviously you you end up with your peers there which is fantastic and then you leave ram and, and you realize there's a whole there's a whole city full of other people that you haven't necessarily met on the course so it's i've i feel like i've had the best of both worlds and i've met a load of people through that and then met a load of other amazing musicians through the scene as well because you know? of course ram being in the center of london and you being a london lad it's often a question asked about breaking into the scene but you were in the hotbed already weren't you did you find it easy to begin to pick up gigs as a young musician um that's a good question um i wouldn't say easy i guess i was i was quite conscious when because i was i was living at home at my mum's when i was doing the, the postgrad which was really lucky and i was quite conscious of wanting to move out when i finished ram and wanting to hit the ground running so i kind of took anything i was offered at, at, at that point um you know and that was like function work and teaching work <laughs> and, and stuff, stuff oh like yes that as well. the, the bedrock yeah. of a musician's life of the course, unglamorous side that no one sees <laughs> of, of course exactly and i wouldn't turn that stuff down now you know but i was um i, I guess i kind of just had a policy of like well i'll try and do as much as as much as possible and meet as many people as possible and i've i've been quite lucky in in that way and that there's like there's a massive pool of amazing musicians to draw on now and, and some of them book me which is which is nice from time to time and of course you said about uh, coming out and into the you know the hotbed of London, sax players are probably the most. I don't use the term with in a deferential way. Common there is a lot of sax players and burning yeah. hot sax players as well. You know, established on the scene, you can think of Vasilis, you can think of Derek Nash. You know, that you can just go. There's so many sax players on the scene already. So to get gigs as a young guy on their heels, now that is a tough ask. Yeah, that's a good point. There are a lot of sax players, particularly a lot of um, a lot of tenor sax players in in London. Obviously, there's a load of great alto players as well. Um, yeah, I, I suppose you, you end up depping for people a little bit, don't mm -hmm. you? And you get to you get to know people that way because you know if someone tries to book 
Garnet on three gigs at the same time. You know, <laughs> and he's now, got a depth. No, and Alex probably that will happen as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's got a, he's got a depth out two of them. So I think as a younger musician, that's that's often your your way in and like how you how you get to meet people. So you've been cutting your teeth down at the late sessions at Ronnie's and so on. Was that part of your musical pedigree and growing growing up? Yeah, it 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 was to be honest. Um, I used to go down for 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 quite a while, not with my horn. Um. I kind of, I kind of almost was was a little bit in, intimidated, which in hindsight is ridiculous because Alex Garnett's obviously one of the most sort of supportive guys in London for that, like nurturing young musicians and taking them under his wing and stuff. And when you know, when you get to know people, you realise that it's quite, it's a pretty friendly, um, it's a pretty friendly place to go down. You know, um, it can be a very intimidating scene, though. I, I can totally get it. I mean. The, the, the whole thing of, you know, if you get into trades on stage and certainly getting up there as a young musician, the first time getting up on stage at a live jam like that, it is a big ask and it's something that needs to be done. But uh, nonetheless, I can understand why you would have had certain reservations about it. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think part of it is just the general quality of the musicians around, which is great in in one sense, but also means you're always kind of measuring yourself up to other people. Um, and then in general, I, 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 the jam session environment can can sometimes be a slightly tricky one to navigate. I, I think, um, depending on how the sort of musicians that end up on the bandstand together click, um, often it's great sometimes it's not um we've all been we've all had experiences of both i think mm -hmm. and your styles are very fluent kind of melodic style where do you think that i mean i'm thinking that because you learned by ear initially maybe that's where that fluidity in your style of playing came, comes from because it's not stepped back purely into the the 50s blue note sound of classic straight ahead you've got a very contemporary sound as well and your whole setup and tone has got a contemporary edge to it and certainly with orb which we'll mention in a moment but where do you think your influences for that your sound came from and did you work hard at your sound um that's really nice of you to say um it's interesting because a lot of a lot of sax players i know is that is the the main the main thing you you get your sound and obviously thinking about the the, the greats like from coltrane all the way through to like well even someone like eric dolphy who's way at the more angular end of, of things like is the first thing that immediately hits you um I, I guess I, I, I never thought about it as a thing in and of itself in the way that I do now. Um, I was always just trying to trying to sort of blend in and for a while, like just try and sound people, let's sound like people that I liked. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess it's only been in the last five years that just like the actual tone quality is something that I've really tried to um, try to, you know, shape and mold and stuff. But it's it's actually a reasonably recent thing for me, like focusing on it just as a thing in itself, rather than all the improvisation and language that comes alongside it. You know? And funny, I've talking about your sound. It was something that we, I was going to come on to a little bit later on. You're a user of the Sios mouthpieces, aren't you? Which, as I understand this, and correct me if I'm wrong, we did have Mornington last year, so I kind of think I'm on the right lines. You style your mouthpiece on a classic style of mouthpiece from the whatever era. Is that correct? And then you send it yeah. away to them and they it's made exactly as per those original mouthpieces. So I think they're quite, um, you know, I don't want this to sound like a plug, but I guess it's quite versatile in that you can do that, but or you can also describe to them um, kind of what you want the mouthpiece oh, to be like. Yeah. Um, but you can do either, you know, they'll kind of make a copy or an adaptation or whatever. Um, the way I got mine, I actually ended up just, I was in Paris and I went and met them and they just had a load of pre-made ones. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually ended up just trying between all, all the different ones of that. So I didn't get one custom made, but I'm on a, 
I'm on one that I'm pretty happy with now, yeah. And do you vary your setup much, or do you once you've established the reed and the cut of the reed and the mouthpiece, you kind of stick with it? Um, yeah, so the reeds I try not to change at all, which is so you you end up with the get nerdy with stuff. me. What what reed are you on? Go on. Uh, the sax I'm, players. I'm on. I'll get them right now. I'm on uh, select jazz unfiled three soft. Um, right. The Dario, the Dario ones. Um, I should know that off the top of my head because <laughs> I find that out you. That was unfair. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I tried to change the read so little that I'm prizing it off the mouthpiece after three months. You know. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, um, I've had my I've had my Selma super balanced action for quite a while. Um, good good five or so years, and then the mouthpiece. Some Sometimes I shape it up just depending on what the gig is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, gen- I'm pretty set at the moment. On, on the style. And awards yeah. have come your way as well. You, in 2018, you won the Peter Whittingham Award, didn't you? Which then led to a tour the following year with Jazz FM vocalist of the year, Sharice Adams. Yeah, so- absolutely. absolutely uh, brilliant, brilliant working with Sharice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope we're going to do that a little bit more in the future. Obviously, it's a little bit tricky now, but that mm. was that was a great band with Will Barry and Ferg Island and Shane Forbes. Um, yeah, just super lucky that there's opportunities like that around. I, I guess because the, the the funding helps you, you know, do the recording, and then of there's course. a little bit of recognition which kind of helps with your your, your profile a, a, well, a little bit. Your profile has been kept very very high, hasn't it? Because you've had great plaudits from Jazzwise magazine; they've written well about you. And I say the, the awards that you won, and some of the people you've played with, such as Andrew. McCormick, the Blackbirds, Soweto Kinch, and toured extensively as well on the North Sea Jazz Festival, Cadogan Hall, and some of the festivals at Glyndebourne and so on. You've been, you know, so obviously your name is very well recognised on the scene now. How long have you been playing professionally? Um, well, it depends what it kind of depends what you class it as. I left um, Academy in 2016. I guess I was kind of playing gigs throughout my throughout time. Throughout that, yeah. like 2014. So I guess I'd count it as like six or seven so some years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, before the lockdown last year happened, what was the, the diary like for you during the course of 2020? Was it due to be busy? <laughs> I can barely remember to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> what does it feel like to have gigs in the diary? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. As there, there were a few things I was looking forward to. Um, a couple of couple of bass players' records I played on actually. Matt Ridley um, had was supposed to be having an album out um, of music that he'd written, and Joe Downard. We recorded a really great album, I thought, with Joe Downard in 2019, and we were going to tour that around the UK. Um, so off the top of my head, there were a couple of things that I was particularly looking forward to. Yeah. And you're a big writer, aren't you? Compositionally, you're a busy person. So did lockdown offer you a chance to sit down and get a lot of stuff out of your head and onto some score sheets? Yeah, definitely. Um, after I sort of got myself out of the initial sort of slump of having all the gigs taken out in the mm. diary, it was mm. um, it was a really good it, it was a really good time for getting a load of music written. And I was I was lucky in the sense that I've been able to do that from home. I've been mainly in my bedroom while my girlfriends work from home in the kitchen. My fiance now, I should say, works from home in the kitchen. But just to have the space and time to do that has been has been really, really good. <laughs>
track we just heard from Alex there was Iceman, and we shall be hearing more from Alex very soon indeed. Last year, we had Robin Phillips on the show. He was talking about his album Reversed, where he went away and found missing or lost verses for some of the great jazz standards. The album itself features Jihad Darwish on the bass, Sebastian de Crom on the drums, Sammy Main is on alto, and Brandon Allen on tenor sax. And the track we're about to listen to now is the standard, A Nightingale Sang in Berkeley Square. Listen online, on DAB and on smart speakers. Straight ahead, with London's leading music venue, The 606 Club. When two lovers meet in Mayfair, so the legends tell. Songbirds sing Winter turns to spring Every winding street in Mayfair Falls beneath the spell I know such enchantment can be Cause it happened one evening to me How strange it was How sweet and strange There was never a dream to compare With that hazy crazy night we met when a nightingale sang in Barclays Square This heart of mine beat loud and fast like a merry-go-round in the face And a nightingale sang In Barclay Square The moon that lingered over London town Poor puzzled moon He wore a frown How could he know we two were so in love The whole damn world Seemed upside down The streets of town Were paved with stars It was such a romantic affair And as we kissed and said goodnight, a nightingale sang in Barclay Square.
dawn came stealing up all gold and blue to interrupt our rendezvous. I still remember how you smiled and said, Was that a dream? Or is this true? Our homeward step was just as light as the tap dancing feet of a stair. Like an echo far away, a nightingale sang. I know cause I was there that night in Barclay. When two lovers meet in Mayfair, so the legends tell. With the current government guidelines still in place, we are live streaming from the club and this week is no exception. This coming Saturday, the 6th of March, it's the Coal Miners featuring the vocals of Tommy Hare and on Sunday, Louise Golby. All you need to do to watch these fine acts is go over to 606club.co.uk and create yourself an account and then each week just log in and pay a very nominal fee to watch these fine artists from the comfort of your own home. But right now we're going to carry on with our interview with Alex and he's going to talk about the pains of keeping yourself musically fit during lockdown.
And of course, you happen, unfortunately, to play one of the less favourable instruments for trying to practice at home. Having a daughter that's uh, just graduated in sax, I've been there in the early years, it's <laughs> and even in the later years when it's not such a bad sound. It's So how do you get around that? I mean, because neighbours have got to be friendly to you. Certainly during lockdown, all the blow rooms were shut, studios were shut. So the only place to play was at home. You're absolutely right. And thank you for asking about it. Um, <laughs> I, I've got great neighbours and we're, we're in pretty good communication. So in, in the few times when it was like they've got a call from home because they're working from home or whatever, they right. can just text and let me know. But I will be honest with you, for the, the first four or five months, um, you know, where things were really bad last year, mm. I was trying to practice every day because I thought it was a good use of time. Mm. Um, I was literally just playing into a wardrobe, um, <laughs> getting as far inside that wardrobe as I could with a tea towel down the bell and oh and just to mute it off a bit yeah because that's the thing a sax vents everywhere and we had camilla george on last year and she actually had one of these kind of perspex cases that put over the whole horn because yeah. she lives in the top floor flat and you know again like you she's saying it's virtually impossible to practice and, and knowing mm. it was going to be that way for some time to come had mm -hmm. to think of some way around it so practicing is a tough gig when it's all locked down isn't it yeah, totally. I've got a fr I've got a friend who um who's just built a, sh a shed in his back garden. So I'm hoping when this lockdown's finished, I can get round there and um play in his shed a little bit because he says no one will be able to hear me. See the things they don't see musicians having to do: disappear down the end of a garden into a shed just to practice. Yeah. <laughs> they in think the it's all glamour on stage, well. yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuck to the sax because they just won't move. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your bands that you play. You, you released your first time, I think, in 2018. All good things, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So is that while you were still just at Ram or just out? Just after, but that, that was with a band of people that I met at, at Ram, yeah. And then the recording experience, is it something you actually enjoy? Because musicians seem to vary greatly on this question. Some hmm. love it and some just live for the for the live stage and do this, the, the recordings just because it's something almost to sell in a, a gig. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess that specific recording I did enjoy because that particular band is just a band of really good friends and um, similarly enjoyed the tour for that reason because it was really fun just to get to spend time with those people. Um, in general, I don't know, I, I see it as a nice challenge. It's almost so artificial, isn't it? You're, you're, you're just encapsulating one thing that happened that the more you can let go of any sort of hang-ups about how your playing sounds, the, the better it tends to sound actually. So I think I've probably got a little bit better at the technique over the last three or four four years but um yeah sometimes it's sometimes it's good sometimes it's it's not depends on the studio as well a little bit i think and then there was just a little bit of time before you got onto the band that we mentioned early on orb now if people are looking for it, it's a u b but pronounced orb so the name first of all what what's that about um led the bands led by me and tom barford the amazing tom barford so uh it's kind of from venn diagram terminology where the the bit that you uh the bit where i am is a the bit where he is is b um everything contained within both of those is a union b so a u b so as you just said you've got uh, tom with you so it's two saxes leading this band yep which is an unusual lead off isn't it normally you'd have different horns so who came mm -hmm. together? Was it you and Tom came together and thought, right, we've got this burning idea for a band. We can lead it off front with two hot saxes playing. How did it sort of come together? Yeah, it was something like that. I think it was just, um, I think just mutual admiration between me and Tom for each other's playing. I think we're quite different as, as mm. saxophonists, but I think there's, um, yeah, I, I think we, we enjoy some of the same things and I think he's an absolute monstrous technician. Um, so we knew that we wanted to play together um, and then we just picked the musicians that we wanted to play with. And the rest of the band is Ferg Island, who we mentioned earlier on Double Bass, and James Madron, who seems yeah. to be everywhere on, on the yeah. drums. A popular drummer, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, 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 for good reason. Yeah. And you said that you, you know, really respect the playing of Tom. 
when you first come across somebody, does it immediately gel that I just love what he, she's doing and you work, want to work together just as, as a resonance, as a gel immediately? Generally, yeah. Yeah, I think it does. And compositionally, do you sit down and write together for the band? So the composition for process for that first album was we would get together, play just duo saxes, record it on a phone or something, and then separately we'd go away, pick the bits that we liked, and then develop that into a tune. So we ended up writing four tunes each kind of from that process for the album. So it was like started off collaborative and then came away and then came back again. And the scene on London at the moment, there seems to almost a, a very slow perceptive a perceptive shifting of the guard the the younger brigade are beginning to come through and last week we had deshnell on the show and mm. i think towards the end of last year you actually did a live stream with us down at the club didn't you at the six you and deshnell together right. yeah did you know how did you come across him um i think that was the ronnie's late show we'd, we'd met to be honest into um, another day. yeah and i mean it shows that social media works as well because i, I i'd seen i'd seen a load of of, of Desh's playing um before that just from clips on other people's social media so I, I knew what a great player he was um and then there was that gig we were, we actually had a gig at the six i think that was cancelled by the first lockdown you know it was mm. in the book and it mm. was um and i had asked Desh and to come and play on that so it made sense to ask him to do the live stream and yeah i'm really glad i did because i think we're going to work together some more it was a lot yeah so. i mean i saw i've watched it on catch up because obviously with the, the beauty of it not that all musicians like it so you can go back and rewatch and rewatch and rewatch yeah. so you two do work very well together and that's what i mean there's a great vibrant scene coming through at the moment which makes me feel that the future of jazz is is in very safe hands the whole idea of live streaming how does that fit for you because musicians oftentimes aren't most used to being in front of a camera on a stage yes but not being filmed and certainly in a dead atmosphere of a club where there's no crowd anymore people aren't in did that feel at all awkward first time through um i suppose it did but i think within the wider context of it being in this sort of lockdown where no one really knew what was going on and everything else was so up in the air the actual playing felt like the most normal thing i'd done in months so it sort of offset yeah so it's something you just want we're glad to get back to doing and i know when we had desh on, on the show he was just saying the happiest place for him is being on stage and i'm guessing that's exactly what you're saying as well yeah, that's that's absolutely right, and you just don't realise how how reliant you are on it. I think mm. um, until it and, until it all gets gets taken away, it's not even necessarily a a, a a performing for the audience thing. It's more just the vibe in the room of playing mm. with a band, and especially when you take an audience with you, and that's that's quite a powerful feeling. Um, and I think a lot of people are sort of struggling with not having had that for a year, you know. And I don't know if I'm defaming other styles of music, but with jazz particularly. <laughs> you do feed off the energy of a room because you can play in the same set two, three, four nights running, but because of the improv style of jazz, it can be different every night and the crowd will raise and fall at different points as well. So the energy that you talk about is so perceptible in jazz, isn't it? That's absolutely right. Yeah, you just you react to the to the vibe in the room and the, the vibe that's created by the other musicians. Um, so yeah, I miss it a lot. Well, uh, and I do, I mean, that's why I started this series of interviews. Because I just wanted to give you guys a bit of a platform because you know there's so much talent there. It was criminal not to have it, you know, just have it put to sleep and not have a voice because you guys are still busy. And which leads me to a, another question: What are you up to at the moment then? Because 2021 doesn't look like it's going to be stellar again. <laughs> it looks a little bit like Groundhog Day just at the moment. So mm. creatively, how are you keeping yourself uh, busy right now? Um, so I'm still practicing quite a lot, which uh, which I feel is just an end in itself and kind of keeps me, keeps me going. Um, I am writing a lot of music, and at the moment I'm I'm sort of knee deep in funding applications to get some recordings to happen because I'm kind of hoping that in come May, come June, July, um, we'll all be able to get into a studio 
together for a little bit of time possibly before it locks down again so I'm kind of planning that and and speaking to musicians about that and that's that's I'm feeling quite excited about that and where would you apply for funding because again we've mentioned before that recording is far from a cheap process so would it be the arts council or yeah it would be the arts council or organizations like the PR uh, PRS foundation or help musicians who are just an incredibly supportive organization um sorting a little bit of finance out with the with the label as well so that there'll be another album on fresh sound which was what the first quintet one was on so i think they're really generously offering some support so it's kind of trying to make those pieces fall into place so the writing you're doing at the moment is with a view to recording another album hopefully later this year Exactly. Yeah. And what do you do once it's recorded? Do you hand all the mastering and mixing over to somebody else or do you get involved with that to some degree yourself? So uh, interesting that you ask because I'm just taking a course at the moment on how to use Logic and do recording and mixing and stuff like that. But at the same time, um, I would never try and do it for an album myself. I would hand it over to an expert. It's quite nice when you sit in the room when someone's doing the mixing so they kind of consult you and you, mm. you bounce ideas back and forth of each other. But um, but yeah, generally it's nice to hand that off to someone who really knows what they're doing. It's a skilled art, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. And you said that hopefully you're working towards the idea of some albums later this year. Would uh, social media be somewhere that people can find out what you're doing? How good are you at that side of it? Because being one of the younger guard, you should be hot on that. It's, yeah, uh, I reckon I'm all right at social media. I kind of put clips up of stuff I'm working on from time to time. Um, there's definitely not going to I, I probably wouldn't share any news about any um, albums or recording or whatever for a good few months because uh, if the funding doesn't come through, then the recording w- won't happen. So I'll, I'll keep my powder dry till, till then. So I suppose March, April, I might be putting some stuff out maybe. And let me just tell people where they can find you because it's always nice if it's laid out where they can find you on socials. It's nice and easy actually on Instagram and on Twitter. You're exactly the same ab hitchcock simple as that uh, you've got your great new website as well uh with some video clips on there and albums on there which is alex hitchcock that's a mouthful for me alex hitchcock there we go that's better.co.uk and uh, you're available on bandcamp as well which that's is right. alex hitchcock bandcamp.com so you mentioned about teaching early on do you still would you still do teaching i mean is that something you can do online with students yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, 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 like a lot of musicians, I do a day's teaching in a school and um, a lot of that's moved on online um, and that's some younger kids, but that's kind of fun and challenging in a, diff- in a different way. What kind of um, age group then, is the school then? Um, they're sort of between seven and they, so oh, some of them go up to about young. 14. And yep. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's a real variety um, in, in a couple of different places. And then I guess my favourite type of teaching to do is when, you know, someone actually thinks that they can get something from me personally and then they'll come and you know seek me out and maybe ask me about something specific which is always quite interesting because it does make you think really hard about the thing that they're asking about you know but also that can you explain it also that should make you realize that you are kind of going to be one of the faces of the future because kids coming through now are going to hear you play and think ah if he can do it i can do it i like what he's doing so that's you know why we need you out there so that the the generation behind you have got somebody to look up to and realize that you know it can be done well you'd hope so i mean i i guess the only thing i'd add to that is that i'm 29 and some of the musicians that are, that are younger than me you know your, your deschanel's your noah stoneman's um matt carmichael's osa cole i mean some of those some of those musicians are absolutely ridiculous rosie freighter taylor the guitarist and she sings you know so there's there's so many people that um that, that kind of scare me in terms of how, how good they are you know? it's called keeping you on your toes young man yeah. <laughs> so is there any any gigs in the diary at the moment? 
um, I've got one gig in Manchester with Joe Downard in May and Orb have got some gigs. Um, there was going to be a live stream in Nottingham in February, but I don't think we're going to be able to get there um, legally. Mm. Uh, but there should be some others in, in the summer. Alex going underground and doing it illegal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> Just for the sake yeah. of performing arts. <laughs> yeah. But it's weird. I mean, I never thought I'd have to ask a professional musician, have you got any gigs in? It's just a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Yeah, it is sad. Um, I, I find this third lockdown slightly easier um just in that it, it's possibly going to be one of the last ones um and there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel mm. with 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 the vaccine um and i just hope for a lot of people's sake that it is one of the last lockdowns because people are you know you don't want people to have to turn away from music because of the like not being able to make it work financially exactly some people have been supported some people haven't that kind of thing you know? no and you know musicians life is never a particularly well healed one anyway and you know you, you have to play a lot of gigs to make a living and with those gigs gone i I just feel for you guys you know it's horrible to watch the the entertainment industry just seems to be in the line of fire for some reason that it is going to be shut because we want it to be shut i don't understand it i really don't i'm not a political beast i just feel it's wrong (laughs) i will leave it there yeah i was gonna say i've got some thoughts but you maybe you don't want them on your program (laughs) so alex it's been lovely to get you on and as i say you were one of the last uh gigs of the year at the six from a live stream point of view so i hope you and dash or you and orb get back down there and we get some more live streams out of you because uh, i think that's going to be the way that we can consume music for the next little while so hopefully i'll be seeing you on a live stream sometime soon and maybe later this year i can actually see you play live i i miss going to live gigs i know you miss being on stage i really love going to gigs and not having them has been the oddest thing yeah, I totally understand that. I miss it too. Just as an audience member, I really miss it, yeah. Well, here's to it. Let's uh, say that 2021's got to be better, right? Yeah, for sure. Alex, Alex Hitchcock, many thanks indeed for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks a lot, David. Really Thank enjoyed you. it. Perfect. Thank you.
music that we heard at the start of the second part of that interview with Alex is as yet untitled. And apart from featuring Alex, it was also recorded alongside his good friend, Will Sachs. And then we came straight out of the interview and into a track from Simon Lasky, the Simon Lasky group. And we just listened to Close to Ecstasy. Back now we go to our track from our featured album, Quiet as a Star from Alan Broadbent and Georgia Mancho. The track we've got lined up was actually inspired by a letter left to Georgia by her late mother. Let me whisper to your heart. Straight ahead with David Lewis. Yeah. 
promise you that we will be playing more tracks on that album over the coming weeks. Don't forget, Quiet is the Star. It's released on the 27th of March. Scottish pianist Fergus McCready has just released another album. It's called Cairn. It's uh, with the established trio of bassist David Bowden and Stephen Henderson. It's a nine-track set full of great music. One of my favourites, though, is the track we've got lined up next to Plan Straight Ahead, Tide.
sadly not all that much longer left on this week's show but a couple of lovely tracks still to play you next up is a single from jane parker and dave colton that i first played on straight ahead a couple of weeks ago and caused quite a reaction the world last night and then after that we're going to go straight into a track from tom remen and jim mullen an album that's got a lot of heat around it called duality and the track i've got looked out and ready to play for you is like someone in love Oh 
Thank mm-hmm. you.
Duality, the work of Tom Remen, featuring Jim Mullen, was released on Lunaria Records on the 5th of March. Many thanks indeed for your company over the last couple of hours. And of course to our guest, Alex Hitchcock. Don't forget to check out his website, alexhitchcock.co.uk. Sadly, that means we've only got time for one more track on this week's show. And it is from an album uh, called Oceana from Till Bronner. It's a gorgeous piece of music with which to finish a show. And it's this love theme from Chinatown. I'll see you at the same time next week.
Thank you.